Hello and welcome to Harlan First and Monroe Chapel United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. During this summer season, we are going through the book of Exodus. And today, we are continuing right where we left off in the last episode. Last time, Moses and Aaron were working together to convince the Pharaoh to let the people go. And uh, the Pharaoh was very stubborn. And so they had lots of plagues until finally, after the last plague, the Pharaoh lets them go. And so that was uh, in chapter 13 is where we left off. And so today we are continuing at the very end of chapter 13. And then we're also going through chapters 14 and 15 of Exodus. Now, many of you probably are very familiar with this story. After they are allowed to go free, they leave in a hurry and they head towards the Red Sea. Now, this is not the most direct route to get to the promised land, the Canaan, but uh, God directs them to go in this location. Also, when we talk about the Red Sea, we there's a question about what body of water they actually cross. That's because the Hebrew is uncertain. Translating is not a science. It's not an exact science, I should say. And so oftentimes when they're translating things, there are more than one, there's more than one possibility of what it could be. Many scholars believe that instead of Red Sea, the best translation is Sea of Reeds or Reed Sea. For our purposes, it really doesn't matter. The point is that they are crossing a body of water that they cannot cross by foot. Now, God is guiding them by pillar of cloud by day and by a pillar of fire at night. Now, as the story goes, the Pharaoh changes his mind again and decides that it was a mistake for him to let them go. Perhaps it was national pride that led him to do this. You know, it would be quite embarrassing to have the slaves go free. And so, out of his pride for his kingdom, he decides that he's going to muster his troops, his chariots, and go after them. And so, the Hebrews, meanwhile, they're at the Red Sea, and they can see the Egyptians approaching. And let me tell you, as soon as they saw them approaching, they completely lose all hope. They completely lose hope. Now, reading this story, you might wonder, why would they lose hope so quickly? I mean, after all, God just showed his power to them through the plagues and made Pharaoh free them. Why would they not trust him? But we have to remember, first of all, that they're just getting to know this God. They, you know, they pretty much forgot about this God after 400 years of slavery. So they don't really know this God very well yet. And secondly, they're slaves. They've been that way for 400 years. They are not used to winning. They're used to losing. And so probably most of them have a cynical attitude about life. You know, if it can go wrong, it will. And so probably for many of them, when they saw the troops coming, they thought, Yep, I knew it. And so they complain to Moses, and they lay it on real thick. I mean, they get really sarcastic. It's almost kind of funny. Uh, They say, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? Wouldn't it be better for us to remain as slaves in Egypt than to die out here? It's a complaint that Moses will hear many times in the future. But God has not given up on them, and the pillar of cloudy fire goes between them and the Egyptian army. And God tells Moses and the people to continue to trust in him. And then he tells Moses to stretch his hand with the staff over the sea and it will divide. But here's a question, because usually 
well, I won't ask a question. I'll just explain that usually we imagine that the Red Sea just completely parts, that instantaneously, as soon as Moses lifts his hand up, the, the waters just recede almost in an instant. But that's not how the Bible describes it. It says that there was an east wind all night. And so this was not a quick process like it's shown in the movies and cartoons. But nonetheless, it doesn't make it any less miraculous. I mean, this is still something that wouldn't happen naturally. And it describes the people crossing the sea on dry land with a wall of water on each side. So no matter how slowly it divided, it's still miraculous. So the Hebrews go through on the other side, and Moses, once they get to the other side, the Egyptians are going through too. And so Moses is called by God to use his hand motion again to close the water, drowning the Egyptians. Kind of a grim command when you think about it. I mean, God tells Moses to make the waters close on the Egyptians and kill them. And yet it on the other hand, letting them get to the other side of the water wouldn't have been good for the Hebrew people either. So, they get to the end, to the other side of the Red Sea, and the Egyptians that were pursuing them are gone. That's the end of chapters 13 and 14 of the book. Chapter 15 of Exodus is devoted to celebration. There are two songs. It's the Song of Moses and the Song of Miriam. Miriam, the same a girl who watched carefully over the baby Moses in the basket going down the Nile River to make sure he would be okay. This same Miriam, the sister of Moses, is alive to experience the freedom of her people. So this is a big celebration. I mean, you know, they are actually free. It's finally over. They are celebrating, and you know it's a big celebration if there's an entire chapter of the Bible devoted to it. Now, as we'll see in subsequent weeks as we continue going through the summer and look at the book of Exodus, freedom is not the end of the story for the Hebrew people. It's only the beginning. They have a long journey ahead of them to get to their destination, to the promised land. And so they're kind of in the in-between. You know, they've left their starting point, but they have not yet arrived at their destination. But still, they have reason to celebrate because they are free. What does it mean to celebrate today? What do we celebrate? When do we celebrate and how? And there are obvious things that we celebrate, such as holidays and milestones. We've had plenty of reasons to celebrate lately. We've been celebrating graduations for the last two months since graduations have been postponed. And not only that, but of course, this weekend is the 4th of July weekend. This is the time when we celebrate America as a nation. And you know, I want to take a moment to talk about that because we are living in a very unique time as Americans, or for anyone in the world, but in America as we come to this 4th of July weekend, we, are, we have a celebration and yet at the same time, we know that there are protests going around, the, on around the world really. There are people who say that they feel oppressed that they do not experience the same rights and freedoms that many of us take for granted every day. And so we have this tension. We have these two different pictures. On the one hand, we have the 4th of July, a celebration of freedom and independence in which we look at our country and we give thanks for the strengths of our country. And, and there are many strengths that our country has. We have a great history. 
And at the same time, we must acknowledge that even though this country has done a lot of good things, even though we have come a long way, we have not yet reached the promised land. We're in the in-between period, right? We're still trying to live into the ideal of what we see in some of our founding documents at their best. Because, see, the reality is that our nation is not perfect, and our nation is not horrible either. Our history is not filled with evil, and our history also is not filled with good. We can see in our history some very good decisions and some very poor decisions. It's some of both. It's just like with people in life. There are no only good people or only bad people. There are no saints and devils. Each of us is capable of great good and great evil, and I think that's true for nations as well. Nations are capable of great good and great evil. And the same is true for America. And so what we see today is that we see that there are a lot of strengths that America has, but we have a lot to work on too. Because the thing is, if people are saying that they feel oppressed and that they are not experiencing the same rights that we take for granted, it's really not in our place for those of us who do not know what they are experiencing. It's not in our place to tell them, no, you're not. You're not oppressed. You have just as much opportunity as I do. It's not really in our place to say that. Instead, as Christians and as Americans, we should want to work towards justice and freedom for all people of all races and nationalities, as Christians and as Americans, because that's what our Christian faith stands for, realizing that all people are made in the image of God, and also because of our American values. We want to live into those American values. So when it comes to the 4th of July, I think that we have reason to celebrate. Certainly, there are a lot of good things about America to celebrate, a lot of things that make our lives great. And at the same time, we also realize while we celebrate that we also still have work to do because we are not yet in the promised land. And we want to do what we can to make America better, that we can continue to head towards that direction. So anyway, as I said, we celebrate holidays and we celebrate milestones, but then there are those times in life when we go through some very real challenges. And when we get to the other side of the challenge, we tend to want to celebrate. Now, I will admit that when I originally planned this summer sermon series, it was in March when the pandemic had just begun, and I actually thought we might have been through this challenge by now. You know, I thought that even if there wasn't a vaccine yet, all of our social distancing and mask wearing would decrease numbers enough that we'd be back in worship by now. And I know many churches are open, but we are not. Numbers are going up instead of down, and we don't know how long is this is going to last. So for many of us, we may not really be in much of a celebratory mood because right now the challenges are many. I mean, there's the coronavirus, there's racial unrest, there's political tension at home and around the world. We are in the midst of struggle. In fact, I think we could rightly say that 2020 is one big struggle. But nonetheless, is there a reason to celebrate? You see, what we see in Exodus is an example of celebrating in the midst of struggle. Now, perhaps some of the people thought that their struggle was over and that now that they were free, it would be simple from here on out. If so, they were very wrong. Or perhaps they just didn't care. 
Perhaps they knew that there were challenges and struggles ahead, but they still wanted to celebrate because they were still free after 400 years. Do we have a reason to celebrate in the midst of our current struggles? I believe we do. Because, you see, as Christians, we know the end of the story. (laughs) We know how the story ends. Have you uh, ever watched a suspenseful movie? Chances are you have. You know, one of those edge-of-your-seat thrillers where you you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you kind of wonder how the story is going to end. Now, in most movies, you know that there are certain main characters who are probably not going to die in the end. And most movies have happy endings, but not all of them. So, in a suspenseful movie, if you like suspense, that's great. But if you don't like suspense, nowadays you can just look up a summary of the plot online and you can know how it ends, and then you can enjoy the movie without having to deal with the suspense if you don't like the suspense. See, suspenseful movies are a lot less suspensing if you know how the story ends. You know, imagine that you were watching a suspenseful movie a second time. There'd be a lot less suspense. I remember when I first watched the original Jurassic Park movie when it came out in theaters, I think in 1993, and I remember that was a very suspenseful movie the first time I watched it. Now, I like that movie, and once in a great while I'll watch it again, but when I do, guess what? There isn't the suspense anymore because I know how the story ends. I don't remember every detail, but I know enough that I don't have to worry. The characters in the movie may be going through a horrible time, but I'm fine because I know how the story ends. I know they'll be okay. (laughs) Well, we are kind of like actors in a movie. We're going through a story, and it's a grand story stretching from the beginning of time to the end of time. But here's the thing. We have the book. We have the book. It's called the Bible, and if you've read it, you know how the story ends. And newsflash, the story doesn't end with a pandemic wiping out the human race. It doesn't end with humanity hating one another and killing one another. It doesn't end with murder and hatred and division, and it doesn't end with politics or oppression. How does the story end? Well, for that, we've got to get out of Exodus for a moment, and we've got to go right to the last book, part of the last book of the Bible— Revelation. I want to read for you from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people's. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Now let me ask you something about that. Because that's the end of the story. Let me ask you. Does that sound like 2020? No. That doesn't sound like the year 2020, does it? That means that 2020 is not the end of the story. The pandemic is not the end of the story. Racial tension and division and oppression 
None of these things are the end of the story. Jesus has already defeated the powers of death and fear and hatred and division, and all of these things will become will be overcome at the end. And I know that this might seem like a little comfort right now while we are suffering and the end seems far off. And saying this is certainly not meant to diminish the very real suffering and loss that people are feeling right now. Our suffering is in our loss and the oppression that people feel is very real. And I don't want to diminish that. And I also don't want this to lead you to believe that, oh, well, if the story ends well and God's going to have his way, then we don't need to worry. We don't have to do anything. We can just sit back and let God do his thing. That's not how it works because, you see, here's the thing. We are a part of the story. And God is counting on us to do our part. We are part, and the actions we do can help bring about this ending of the story. By living out our calling as Christians, by by following Jesus, by loving others, by helping people to experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ, by working towards freedom and justice for all, by doing all of these things, we help bring about this ending of the story. And so this idea that the story ends well is not meant for us to be lazy and just not worry about it. You know, the kind of theology that says we're just biding our time here on earth until we pass away and can get away from this place, that's bad theology. This place right here, right now, is what God has created for us, not some far-off otherworldly heaven, right? The Bible doesn't even say that we're going to end up staying in heaven forever anyway. God's going to renew and restore heaven and earth and we're going to be on living on earth and the new heavens and the new earth. So let's stop talking about, oh, I just need to wait until I pass away and get out of here. We are here and we are called to make a difference. So by saying that we know how the story ends, it does not diminish our very real suffering and loss. And it does not or should not encourage us to be complacent and to not work towards change. But nonetheless, knowing the end of the story can help put things in perspective. It helps us to keep hope alive and motivates us to continue to do the work that Jesus has called us to do. And it gives us a reason to celebrate in the midst of the challenges. You know, the Hebrews had a reason to celebrate. They knew they were set free from slavery and they were headed towards the promised land. They still had a lot of struggle ahead of them before they got there, but they still had something to celebrate. And in the same way, we have a reason to celebrate too. Because we've been set free from the power of sin and death. And we know that we are headed towards the promised land of a world made right by God as described in Revelation. There's still a lot of struggle ahead before we get there. But there is certainly something to celebrate. And so I want to encourage you during this time, find a reason to celebrate now. Not just because it's the 4th of July, but in general. Find a reason to celebrate in 2020. Don't wait for some far-off time when there may be a vaccine. Don't wait until things are better because there's always going to be something, right? I don't say that to depress you, but there's always going to be something. There's always going to be another challenge, right? But find a way to celebrate now, not in 2021 or 2022 or 2025, Find a reason to celebrate right now in 2020, because God is with us. Amen.